Hey everybody, this is Andy, aka Love Retro BTW, across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming, from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon, starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter, Please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. This time on Gamers Week podcast. Just a few minutes ago, we were talking about all the massive requirements for PC to run the Silent Hill 2 remake. And can you imagine a dongle <laughs> being powerful enough to run such a game? Mm-hmm. The power that it takes to run it. You're not putting that on a dongle. I mean, this is one area where I think size definitely matters for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we haven't made that joke at all the times we talked about dongles. This is the first time somebody's made that joke. <laughs> Yeah, but the problem with apps is that they they come and go. Like I had a TV that we bought back in like 2012. 55 inch. Save uh, it, Donnie. LCD. Save the rage. And remind me, uh do my I'll do my best, no cursing, right? Uh yeah, I mean one or two is okay. I'll I bleep them, but Yeah. Now, as a fellow editor, I know. Yeah, please don't make me work too hard, please. (laughs) This f***ing system. (laughs) We just have to say earmuffs. Yep. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) All right. Um, I think we're good. You guys are good? Okay. Hit and record on my end. Cool. Back up. Then, Donnie, whenever you're ready. That was a baby one. I was expecting it to be bigger. <laughs> yeah, that, that's embarrassing for you. It's like Corky Romano, where he's like, he goes to fart. And you think it's going to be this big, loud, elaborate one. It's just like a little squeaker. Yep. <laughs> Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, worst, and weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. This is episode 45. And today is Wednesday, October 26th, 2022. My name is Donnie G. Retro, and I'll be your host this evening. And with me, as always, is my co-host. She will humiliate you and put you in your place, all in the name of charity. Blue Williams, <laughs> a.k.a. Writer's View. How are you doing this evening? <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt to defend myself anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's true. If you want, It is technically correct, the best type of correct. If you got it, you got it. I guess so. And my second co-host this evening, his name rhymes with Ryan, but he's a lot cooler and currently in a dream three-way between the Eagles 
and the Philadelphia Phillies. We have Brian with Drink a Beer and Play a Game, also from the Power Hour podcast. Brian, how are you doing tonight? Hey, what's going on, Donnie and Blue? Truly, truly appreciate you having me on to help co-host. I'm really excited. I hope I don't let you all down, but I know you did have Jim before, so I know I'll do better than him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you might have to stick around. I don't know if Ryan's going to come back after that intro. Oh, love you, baby. (laughs) So, Brian, can you tell us a little bit about your Power Hour podcast? Yeah, I would love to say the name is subtle, but it's not. Uh, It was born out of Jim and myself wanting to drink beers and play games together. It was an excuse to get together, do some couch co-op gaming, um, and it morphed into an idea of... You know, let's not just drink beer and play games. Let's try to find the best games out there and pair it with some of the best beers we were trying. So um, from our site, we have tons of beer and video game reviews. But um, what we really try to do is the same way you would expect food or anything else that gets paired with beer. You know, some games, they're not that good. So you're going to need a couple more bottles. Other ones, (laughs) (laughs) you definitely need those goggles going to to see through the terribleness. And then other games, you just want to celebrate for how great they are. So we wanted to combine two of our favorite things. And yeah, we've been at it for a little while. I'll say that. So when you do your reviews, does every game have like a recommended ABV by it? So, no, (laughs) what it does have, though, is a uh, recommended, we call it the beer requirement meter. And that thing has gotten more questions than anything when we review games, because sometimes, like if you've ever played the NES classic Wayne Gretzky hockey, which is terrible, um, we think we recommend some like you'd need 18 beers to even go through this thing. Oh, it, was, it was it was no good. Um, so we've gotten a million questions and people were like, are beers good? Are they bad? So we now we have it a little more sophisticated to a point where we just say, hey, we're going to give one beer for the graphics because yada, yada, yada. And we try to break it down that way. And at the end of every review, we also offer a specific beer that would pair very nicely with this give a little reasoning and you know, it's all subjective at the end of the day. <laughs> so, so what beer would you pair with uh, Superman 64? Oh, well, that was actually one of our Patreon requests and they ah. wanted to torture us with that. I'm thinking like maybe a Schlitz or uh, an old Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. I went pretty bottom of the barrel. I went natural light for that. And the game received a abysmal 2.9 from us with a requirement of, let's see, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 17 beers are required to play that game. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so get, get a uh, full case of Natty Lights. And um, actually, no, we never recommend anyone do anything we do. But yes, it's. Um, now, that's not the Natter Days. That's just the regular Natty Light. That's just your your okay. basic, you know, fifteen dollars <laughs> get you thirty somehow. I don't know, you know, the math there, but yep, that's the best value. <laughs> Got to keep it simple. Okay, let's take a look at our reviews, reactions, and requests. Fifi Fo Fum says, "Enjoyed the bayonetta discussion. I thought Helena Taylor was awfully optimistic, calling for a boycott. Glad you all highlighted how one sided her story is." 
St. Coffee says Solid Snake becomes Old Snake due to the genetic engineering in his creation. And he's a claw of the big boss. His cells were designed to start decaying at an earlier age to prevent enemies from gathering his cellular material so that they could clone <laughs> their own big bosses. Or so the story goes, according to Dr. Naomi Hunter, voiced by none other than Jennifer Hale. I knew there was a story to that. I just could not remember everything about it. And Terry Baca says, how is it possible that Donnie found a way to make Bayonetta even sexier? It's one of my talents. <laughs> I hope Platinum Games was listening to get prep going for Bayonetta 4. Unfortunately, Donnie, I don't think they'll pay your asking fee of one sealed copy of Little Samson. Are you freaking kidding me? That they, That's less than what she was going to make. <laughs> you have to hold out, Donnie. You're worth more. Right. Let them Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. I know my word. Regardless of how sexy your Bayonetta is, <laughs> you deserve the best. It'll be the best entry in the series if I do it. <laughs> and now it's time for the... <laughs> Sorry, I uh, sometimes around Halloween I just randomly start speaking in reverse. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right, every Monday on Twitter we post our VIP, very important poll. And if you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. So this week's question, in honor of spooky season, who is your favorite ghost in video gaming? In third place, we have Sei Kurosawa from Fatal Frame with 4.7% of the votes. Second place was Clyde from Pac-Man with 27% of the votes. And the winner by a landslide, Boo from the Mario franchise with 50% of the votes. We also had 18.2% of people vote other. So let's look at some of the comments from the poll. At Baskis says the Dimashi from Thousand Arms. Big Bro Go Go says Don De Niro from Chibi Robo Clean Sweep. At Grim HS says the Ghost Pirate LeChuck. At Gillen Luke says Gengar from Pokemon. And at New Dead Gaming says Jin Sakai, the Ghost of Tsushima. So, how did you guys vote in the poll, Brian? Since you're our guest, you want to go first? So, I went with Boo. Um, when I think of classic ghosts and games, that was the first time being someone who's obsessed with horror. And uh, I can still remember playing Super Mario World and just the boo levels in that game stuck with me to this day. So for a classic answer like that, I was like, that's a no brainer for me. Had to go boo all the way. Nice. What about you, Donnie? We've got so many ghosts in video games. You've got your Call of Duty ghosts. You've got your Ghost of Tsushima. You've got your Ghosts and Goblins. But for me, just like Brian said, it's it's when I think about ghosts, I immediately go to one of two things. Uh, Boo from Super Mario Brothers and all four ghosts from Pac-Man. Inky, mm. Blinky, Pinky, and Clyde. I remember all four ghosts from an early age because Pac-Man came out whenever I was very, very, very young. And they, they kind of stuck with me. They, and they have stuck with me over my entire life. So, uh, like I said, it's a toss-up between those two. Um, and you can't go wrong with either one. So, isn't one of the ghosts named Sue? Or is Clyde sometimes Sue? Uh, you know what? I uh, Cannot tell you about that lore right now because I, 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 I'm not on the up and up. 
<laughs> I'm so disappointed. I know the name. I thought you would I, I know, be that guy. Hey, come on. I know the I know the original <laughs> okay, name. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I got they it. changed it. I got what it. What is it? According is to it? the Pac-Man wiki, Sue originally appears as an orange ghost in Ms. Pac-Man as a female counterpart to Clyde. Okay. Ah, now I understand. Okay. okay. I think that goes to show I've played way more Ms. Pac-Man than actual Pac-Man. True. And so have I. And I kind of thought the ghosts were the same. So you learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> so in response to the poll, what's your favorite ghost? Well, before I say my answer, I do want to give a shout out to Polterpop from Luigi's Mansion. He got a ton of shout out votes mm. and he is, of course, ah. the goodest boy ghost that there ever was. So he definitely deserves a shout out in this. But I also voted Boo. So that's a clean sweep for Boo. Very nice. Ever since uh, Super Mario 3, like I remember seeing the ghost the first time and going, okay, this is clearly an enemy. Ah, he's chasing me. And then you turn to look and he's embarrassed when you look at him. I thought it was so <laughs> funny. You get a little bit of like a, a little bit of power over this enemy because you can stop him in his tracks. I thought it was hilarious. And he's, you know, been a favorite of mine ever since. I main Boo in Mario Party games. So he's my guy. I thought he was playing peekaboo with you. Like if you if you turn around and look at him, I thought he was just like covering his eyes. Not that he's embarrassed, it's just that he's playing a game. Hmm. Interpretations. Huh, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it has has it been officially designated that he's embarrassed? Is that in some sort of lore, wiki, or canon? Well, let me see if I can find <laughs> four hours later. Yeah. <laughs> He, he he's really just an inkblot test for both of you, as you're saying. You're revealing right. your own thoughts about right. this. <laughs> <laughs> Am I being psychoanalyzed right now? It took me forever to realize if you turn around, he would stop. I was like, why does he keep catching me? <laughs> ah, ha, 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 ha. According ah. to the Super Mario Wiki, the distinctive characteristic of the booze is their shy personality as they cover their faces when someone looks directly at them. So it's not peekaboo. <sighs> Sorry, all Donnie. Right. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for our patron shout outs. We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. Rai Rai's secret best friend, Mega Retro Man, Gamatroid, Emo-esque, Bill Tucker, Rye Bread's number one fan, Fruitcake's number one stan, Ducks with Thick Thighs, The Wizard of Zardoz, Clayman71, Great Siaman81, BNT Zilla Guy, Geek With That, Crunchy Kong, Sure Snacks, Frank Ronde, JNL Game, Love Retro BTW, Steven Sand, Bramboski, Terry Kinnair, Ducks in Disguise, Jim and Colleen, Games with Coffee, Davy PGH, The Red Ox PDX Family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, Random Retro Dude, and Princess Kitty Mew Mew. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as the other cool stuff we'll be doing like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. 
All right, let's move on to our headlines for the week. And our headline segment is, of course, proudly sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic, family-friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Rob and Hugh pick two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. Currently, they're playing through Medieval and GTA Vice City. Visit them at RetroGameClub.net or follow the link in the show notes. And Donnie, I know you love Vice City. I love that game. Not not for the story, for the amazing soundtrack. That is a game that I can load up on my PS2. If I want to just get lost, I can load it up, get on a motorcycle or get in a car and drive around Vice City for hours and not be bored. Yeah, that was a game I think I still somehow have the uh, piece of paper in, the, in you know, the actual manual itself with all the cheat codes. And yeah. I, I memorized them for so long, but unfortunately, <laughs> age has got to me and I can't remember the infinite ammo anymore. Oh, man. <laughs> there, there are so many codes that I used to know that, that, that they get pushed out by just stupid movie quotes and song lyrics. i'm pretty sure that's 90 percent of what's left in your brain (laughs) yep (laughs) you're not wrong all right from ign we have silent hill 2 will push your pc to its limits konami has revealed that the system requirements for its newly announced silent hill 2 remake and running all the recreated horror goodness is going to require a hefty pc setup As reported by PC Gamer, Silent Hill 2 Remake Steam page has revealed the recommended system specs. Demand a GeForce RTX 2080 or AMD Radeon 6800 XT graphics card, as well as an Intel Core i7-8700K or an AMD Ryzen 5 3600X equivalent processor with 16GB of RAM. The recommended system requirements will deliver medium-quality visuals at 60 FPS or high-quality visuals at 30 FPS. Konami hasn't yet shared what specs will be required to run the game at 60 FPS with high settings, but given the requirements for just 30 FPS, it's likely going to be pretty demanding. Along the recommended specs, the opposite end of the spectrum was also shared. Silent Hill 2's minimum requirements, which should enable lower medium quality at 1080p or 30fps, demand an AMD Radeon RX 5700 or a GeForce GTX 1080 equivalent graphics card, alongside an Intel Core i5-8400 or an AMD Ryzen 3 3300X processor, and 12GB of RAM. Silent Hill 2 Remake was announced during the Silent Hill Transmission so- Showcase with a three-man trailer that showed off the 21-year-old game recreated in the Unreal Engine 5. It's all coming to PlayStation 5, where Konami has promised seamless gameplay with no loading screens, though this will likely be a PC feature as well, and perhaps one reason for its particularly demanding system requirements. So prepare to shell out some uh, big bucks on upgrading your hardware if you want to play Silent Hill 2 Remake on PC. Yeah, I know it's usually the PC Master Race, but as somebody with the PS5 and I'm just going, wow, that looks complicated for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I feel bad for you guys. Let me just load it up on my PS5. Yeah, you mean all I have to do is press the power button. Wow. I might sprain my (laughs) finger when I do it though. So, you know, it's not all fun and games. But Donnie, I know you were excited to hear that it was coming to PC because you didn't want to get a PS5 just for this. Will your PC run this? 
Um, my PC will run this. I currently run an i7 9700K with a GTX, uh, was it? No, it's not GTX. It might be an RTX uh, 3060 Ti. Okay. Mm. So I should be fine, but the more I think about it, I'm not going to admit it yet. <laughs> oh, come on now. We're all friends here. <laughs> Nobody else is listening. It's just us. I, 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 I might pick up a PS5. I was actually at Target today, kind of looking around. I was like, you know what? If they have one, I might pick it up. And they didn't, so I didn't. So, If you see them, I would highly, highly recommend getting them. As someone who also has a PS5 and a pretty decent PC, it sounds like yours is better. Um yeah, there's something about the convenience of not worrying about your computer blowing up when you put it there inside is. a hill, too. There is, <laughs> especially when you talk about the lifespan of a typical console where uh, – what's what's a typical now? Is it five years? I thought it was more like eight. I thought the last gen was eight. Yeah, it's like eight to ten at this point okay. now, especially with these newer consoles. You spend $600 on a new console now, and you get eight to ten years out of it where mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about upgrading anything. Hell of a lot cheaper than a graphics card. Just mm-hmm. saying. <laughs> now, I, I will say that, um, uh, of course, you have games like Cyberpunk 2077, whenever it came out. It was not the greatest on your PS4 or your Xbox One, and it was loaded with problems, whereas on the PC, it was fine. So maybe about the time it starts to hit the end of its lifespan, it, it might be time to switch back over to PC and upgrade that. It might be, but man... If this is the future of games, I think this is also a PS5 flex move for them just to show off you and me there some beefy system requirements to just do what you could do by just using our system. If if this is the kind of way that games continue to go, is this just going to make it that much harder for people to play games? You can't hardly get a current gen system and you have to have a PC with major muscle in it to be able to play games. So what are your options, really? And that that's really your option or you're you're not playing this until it comes out on another console that you own. Like with the mm-hmm. Xbox, whatever, whatever the next Xbox iteration that's coming out. Silent Hill 2 is not coming out for the Xbox Series X until no. at least, what, maybe, you, what do you think, two years, two or three years after it's uh, released on PS5? Uh, maybe not that long, at least a couple months. But, you know, going along with what we we're talking about last week, it would have to run on the S. It, it really, it, it just is making the case, as you said, Blue. I mean, is it going to make more sense at some point? Do you cut the tie with a console and go high-end PC? But then, like you said, Donnie, then how often are you going to be updating a graphics card or something or memory or, you know, there's some something's got to give at some point. Right. So I think the biggest thing is the graphics cards. When graphics cards run upwards of $1,000, and then you have to make sure that you have the correct power. So it, it starts a chain reaction or a waterfall effect where, all right, I'm just going to upgrade one thing on my computer. Oh, but now that I've upgraded this thing, I have to upgrade this in order to support that. Well, now I have to upgrade this to in order to support the other thing that I just upgraded. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes right. this big ass snowball. So why don't you just go ahead and buy the PS5 when it's available, mind you, when it's when they have enough stock in stores, buy the PS5. And you can get eight to 10 years of gameplay out of it without yeah, having to no upgrade upgrades anything. required. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. the way to go. 
Because I mean, otherwise, if you're trying to do this for a PC, that's an awful lot of effort to play a game where when you think about the visuals of the original Silent Hill 2, we're just a bunch of polygons. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, do you really need all this to be able to see? That was my question. Yeah. Like I looked at this and, you know, the trailer itself and I went, that, does it really need all that? Like, I don't know. That mirror didn't look that impressive. No, and actually, <laughs> you know, that's maybe a minor nerdy complaint is that's always the thing that's been going around online is in the original game, he's looking in the mirror and it's so dark, you can't see the reflection that well. And then somebody lightened it up and it looked like James was looking at the player. And it was yeah. a really like creepy moment. But in this, you can see the mirror just fine. And James is looking at himself. Mm-hmm. Damn you, graphics for getting better. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> Old man shakes his fist at the sky. Damn you, graphics. <laughs> okay, from Slash Gear, Xbox Keystone Game Streaming Dongle. 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 Shelved. Here's why. There was a kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. You don't hear that word very often. <laughs> In the gaming world recently about Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer potentially teasing the rumored Xbox streaming stick codenamed Keystone. The picture that set off speculation from nerds everywhere seems to show an unassuming little white box chilling contentedly under Spencer's shelf-mounted sword. Giggity. Whispers in the gaming world already suggested Microsoft might be working on a dedicated streaming box that would deliver some portion of the Xbox game library in purely cloud-based form. The rumors were half right. That anonymous little dongle under Spencer's sword, that does not sound right, <laughs> was a keystone. Alas for fans of Microsoft and the cloud, it may well have been the only keystone. In a talk with Sarah Needleman at WSJ Tech Live, Spencer addressed the keystone's future. Keystone was the codename of something we were incubating internally, which was, think of it as a streaming console, so there's no local gameplay. Low cost, plug it into your television, and you'd be able to stream to your television the Xbox games that are available. However, he notes, I think it's years away. All is not lost for Xbox fans, however. In the same talk, Spencer reaffirmed Microsoft's commitment to cloud gaming, working in a well-earned humble brag that Microsoft's existing cloud offers had just passed 20 million users. He also repeated Microsoft's overall cloud strategy to deliver platform choice to players, simultaneously making games accessible through the cloud, making inroads into the mobile gaming industry, and keeping up with conventional software publishing. Pour one out for the dongle, everybody. The dongle mm -hmm. is The anonymous dead. little one. <laughs> Man, what are we going to joke about now? <laughs> It'll make a comeback. They always do. I, what, what's interesting is... And I'm sure you guys have covered this before, but we see this trend with Xbox and Microsoft. At what point do they just throw in the towel for hardware development and say, We're, we just be better being a streaming like service? Like They have the best streaming service out there. They're getting some of the best titles. They've been snatching up things like a Monopoly board. And soon enough, they'll have enough developers that, you know, if they can just get on other consoles or PC or some ability to stream, they probably cut their losses because they always end up in, in most cases in the past couple of years, second or third behind PlayStation or Nintendo when it comes to the hardware itself. So I don't, I don't know what you guys think about that, but it's going to make sense. You're going to see something like this come, come from them. And I can't imagine it's more than you're going to see it within five years without a doubt in my eyes. 
I do like that this last part of the the article says uh, that they are simultaneously making games accessible through the cloud, making inroads into the mobile gaming industry, and keeping up with conventional software publishing. That last one, I don't think you mean that. I don't think their heart is in the conventional software <laughs> publishing. <laughs> well, they're, they're thinking about the future. So why would you... I mean, and yes, okay, keeping up with conventional because that's what works. That's what sells right now. The future is unknown. You don't know how well it's going to work with cloud-based gaming. So continuing to do so until the next iteration takes off and then leaving that in the dust. I guess I would think that with specifically with Microsoft, the only hesitation in going to all digital may be that they're so gung-ho about backwards compatibility. So if you've been a lifelong Xbox gamer and you have a bunch of discs for the older systems, mm-hmm. you know, maybe these games, your favorite game is not actually on Game Pass, but you still have the disc for it. So if they go all digital, then those discs become useless. Unless you have the older systems to play them on. Well, yeah, but they want you to always be able to play the old games on your current system. True. That is true. They are one of the best when it comes to backwards compatibility. So that's a good point. But like, unless there's some very hardware intensive game that would require a system, if they can get away with cloud-based streaming, I think, I think they're still going to push that way. Just a few minutes ago, we were talking about all the massive requirements for PC to run the Silent Hill 2 remake. And can you imagine a dongle <laughs> being powerful enough to run such a game? The power that it takes to run it. You're not putting that on a dongle. I mean, this is one area where I think size definitely matters for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe we haven't made that joke. And all the times we talked about dongles, this is the first time somebody's made that joke. See, I ruined that. You get the guy who drinks beers and he comes on and that's what he does. All right, next up from Screen Rant, Resident Evil 4 Remake has made an unforgivable mistake. See, I told you I was nervous about this remake, and it's already happening. (laughs) Previews for the Resident Evil 4 Remake are live, and a noticeable change has been made in the early hours of the game that has resulted in backlash from fans. In the original version of Resident Evil 4, when Leon approaches the village, he will hear a dog yelping in pain. If the player follows the sounds, they will find a dog stuck in a bear trap. If they choose to free the dog, and those who don't are monsters, on par with those who lock the butler in the freezer in Tomb Raider 2. (laughs) Anything you two want to confess to? I locked the butler in the freezer. I did as well. Yeah, that checks out. (laughs) If they choose to free the dog, they will be rewarded later in the game. During the El Gigante battle, the dog will return and assist Leon in the battle, acting as a distraction while the player uses the opportunity to reload, heal, or get some free shots in at the boss. In the Resident Evil 4 remake, however, when Leon is traveling to the village at the start of the game, the dog is now dead. The player finds their corpse in the bear trap, which means they won't be around to help later in the game. It bears mentioning that the preview isn't the final version of the game, and it's possible that the dog will be included later. There's also a chance that the developers got rid of the dog to give the game a more realistic feel, as the dog coming to save Leon from the giant monster is one of the sillier moments in the original game. The death of the dog could signify that the Resident Evil 4 remake has a darker tone than the original game, which may not necessarily be a good thing, as the B-movie action style was part of the original's charm. So, Blue, as somebody who loves Resident Evil 4, Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about this possibility that it might not be in there 
And that the fact that the uh, the developers want to make this a less sillier game. Well, it seems really insignificant, right? If you are not a fan of the game, you're you're on who the frick cares, right? It's just a, it's an <laughs> NPC dog, right? Exactly. But this is the kind of thing that I was afraid of because they say they're going to make a faithful remake, but I really doubt that they are. They're going to make all these little changes that they think are going to be insignificant, but I'm afraid that they are going to end up ruining much of what was the charm of the original game. And this would be an example of that. Is this the only instance in Resident Evil 4 where you make a decision that affects the outcome of the game? No. And it doesn't even affect the outcome of the game. It affects the outcome of one, like, mini-boss battle. Okay, so there it is. If it's if <laughs> That sounds like it's insignificant. It's still linear. You're still getting to that same result. It's just, this is kind of offering a little, just a, a hint, a skosh, a tad, a speckle of assistance in a mini-boss battle. So why the uproar? Brian, back me up here. Well, number one, we all know you can kill as many people as you want in video games and movies, but you don't kill dogs. Hell yeah. True. Especially in this particular case, like it is, call it corny, whatever, campy B-movie, but that's what people loved about Resident Evil 4. And that moment when he dog hops off the ledge and helps you, it's the same moment that, who was it? Is it Lara Croft that throws you a rocket launcher in one? You know, when you get those little moments, it's something that sticks with people and it's like a it's a little fun thing. Seeing the dog dead, like you pointed out in the article, and the article pointed out, either that's their way of saying they're changing things, expect something much darker mm-hmm. and different, or is this gonna be a red herring and they're gonna see the response and you're gonna walk up and the dog is fine. Like I, I'm I'm curious, like how much of this was done for the reaction versus their actual intent? Because right. call, call me skeptical, but that's how I kind of look at some of these things. But if they're going for a darker tone, then yeah, you're 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 setting setting the pace right. Um, but yeah, I'm not cool. Don't kill the dog. Right. Well, and <laughs> I think it's you know it's certainly a possibility that that they would just be doing this for a reaction, but it seems unlikely to me that they would be swearing up and down in one breath that this is going to be a faithful remake, only to change something so obvious and so noticeable that anyone who had played the game would notice. People are used to being able to save the dog, and when you can't, it's kind of a little gut punch. I'm just curious. I don't know if either of you have played the other. Resident Evil remakes like Resident Evil is my favorite series by far but I'm curious in every remake they definitely make some major shifts something is it's like pretty significant right the dog just being one of them would be a weird one and unnecessary like I'd be fine if you completely redo Krauser's levels and that whole section. Like, I don't I don't need a million dudes with Gatling guns shooting at me and all that. Like I didn't need that. I did play the Resident Evil remake, uh, only Resident Evil 2. Um, okay. I still have yet to finish it, but it that was a great game. Um, I didn't really notice that big of a change from the Resident Evil 2 remake to the original. You didn't think the sections like uh, when you're the, the little girl in that like school I did that notice that. No, yeah. Right, right. I think it added to the story. It's not like they took something away. This, to me, 
is uh, this is just my personal opinion. It's such a small, insignificant little thing because it doesn't contribute to the story or the ending. It doesn't change the outcome of the overall game. It's just a dog. And How dare well, you? I, I, I know, I know, I know. I'm going to get flagged for that. I love dogs. I, I, I don't. There's two things I, I don't like seeing, and that's harm to children and harm to pets. And unfortunately, if they leave this in, that the dog is not going to be able to help you, then yeah, it's going to make for a much darker tone in Resident Evil 4. You're 100% right. In the grand scheme of the game, this happens right at the very beginning. It's over quickly. It means basically nothing. However, <laughs> it is one of the classic, like iconic Resident Evil 4 moments. It's a fan favorite moment, and it is instantly recognizable that they changed it, which makes me concerned, makes me concerned for their attention to detail. It makes me concerned for, do they understand the game? Do they understand why it was so good? Maybe, maybe this amounts to nothing. Maybe this is the only change that they've made, but I don't think it's a good sign. I don't think it's a good way to start. Mm. That is a good point. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what they, what they will or won't change. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if it, if it is darker, I guess blue, are you going to like that if it is a complete darker tone and all the cheesiness is gone? Uh, you're talking to a former goth girl, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't mind dark, but Resident Evil 4 is one of my favorite games of all time, and I don't see how this remake is going to do anything other than be a downgrade from what the original game was. And that's just mm. the way I see it. Okay. You heard it here first, people. Resident Evil 4 Remake <laughs> is a downgrade. <laughs> <laughs> From PC gamer Rockstar's throwing a life preserver to the guy that had 6,000 hours of Red Dead Online on Stadia. Color, the streamer who logged 6,000 hours of playtime on the Stadia edition of Red Dead Redemption 2, is about to be saved from the Doom platform. Google's sudden announcement that Stadia would shut down in January of 2023 sent developers and players scrambling. Some devs with work-in-progress titles for Stadia got shafted, while others had to figure out how to help the players transfer their save game progress. Very few people seemed as screwed as Color, a content creator who specializes in Red Dead Online 2 on Stadia. With the announcement of the platform's closure, he feared he would lose nearly six thousand hours worth of progress in the game thankfully rockstar has stepped in and announced account transfer for stadia players following in the footsteps of bungie io interactive and zenimax online in a message to color shared by the content creator the company states that red dead online players will be able to transfer all currencies and experience from stadia to an account on another platform via the rockstar social club Rockstar is yet to share details or a timetable for the process, and we've reached out to the company for comment. Color is understandably relieved by the news and said that the collective jostling to get Rockstar to address the issue helps save an entire community of players from losing all their online progress. An entire community, and I say that in air quotes, when <laughs> you're you talking about five people collectively that played this game on Stadia? 
<laughs> there are dozens of us. Uh, <laughs> literally dozens of us people. Yeah. Right. How dare you? <laughs> that is but a fraction of our power. Do you <laughs> yield? We do not. <laughs> um, 6,000 hours. I don't know if I've spent 6,000 hours doing anything. That's, it's such an impressive number. Like I, I try to quantify it. You know, back in the day in college, like starting to play the newest Call of Duties or whatever it was, I think the most I've ever put in, it was something like 20 days worth. Hmm. So I'm like, okay, that's probably the most I've ever then put into a game. And I tried to figure it out. And the only other one that would come close to would be like Bethesda, but that's that would, that would pale in comparison because that was like maybe 100 hours or something. So 6,000 hours is... Whew. Yeah, I think my highest number in a game is, you know, 400 some in uh, Mario Kart 8. I think that's the absolute oh. most that I've have. The time I stopped playing Dead by Daylight, I had like 700 something hours in there. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Dead by Daylight is one of those ones where people like, yeah, I, I've heard terms like 2,000, 3,000 hours. So yeah, six thousand is a is a different number, and especially doing it on the stadia. Why would you punish yourself? That <laughs> <much>? <laughs> well, I guess like on the one hand, it's a good thing he did because having that many hours is probably the only reason that he got Rockstar's attention. That mm-hmm. they decided, oh, we got to help these players over on a what's it called again? Stadia. Yeah, we got to help <laughs> the players on Stadia. <laughs> So uh, that's really great of the developers to, you know, to reach out to their players on failed platforms. And it kind of gives you hope for the future. So something like this happen again. But really, my biggest question in all this is if you've spent 6,000 hours in Red Dead Redemption 2, is there anything left to do? For like, real. I mean, you don't want to lose your progress, but like, what else are you progressing towards? You have to have done everything like six <laughs> times over. I mean, maybe this was a sign you need to stop it at this point. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I did actually check out this guy's channel and, he, you know, he is he is super enthusiastic about it. And, you know, when he streams or, or talks about it, he likes to refer to himself as the guy with 6,000 hours on Stadia. So, you know, it, it's, his, it's, it's one of those things. Is, is it now like his... Uh, his little curse like he, he's now built this reputation he can't be like well now i'm the guy with 10 hours on skyrim you can't do that <laughs> right, right. it doesn't quite have the same zinc yeah. to it. <laughs> he's gonna have his own booth at a, at a convention somewhere the guy that had six thousand hours in stadia yeah i'll sign your autograph i i you know what? i'm gonna go on record without knowing i'm gonna say he has that record uh, most hours on stadia on stadia and red dead <laughs> online i'm gonna say he has it and if he doesn't that would really suck. <laughs> <laughs> is this going to set a precedence, though? So if somebody's playing, let's just say, on Game Pass, and they want to transfer their stuff over to Sony's network, can they contact the developers of Red Dead Rockstar and say, hey, can, can you go ahead and transfer my stuff over here? Will, will they even uh, acknowledge that? And if they don't, then is this favoritism? 
<laughs> mm. I don't know. Cross progression is something that I would love. That you can't even get cross progression between switches. Like if you have two, I have two different switches, and once I pick one of the switches to start a game on, like that's the switch that the game is on because your progress doesn't carry over to the other switch. Should you start right. decide to play the game on that other switch, so if you can't even get it between switches, I don't know how you're going to get it between, you know, Game Pass and Steam or whatever. If you decided to do that. Yeah, talking about Dead by Daylight, I have it on Xbox and I have, you know, like the Demogorgon and some of the characters that you can't unlock anymore. Uh I have all the DLC and I, on a whim, on a Steam sale, I got the game again for five bucks on my PC. I want to see the difference. We know there's a major difference in being able to play on PC versus console and I can't transfer that progress. Even when I was doing Xbox online, like on my PC, I couldn't even transfer to that between Xbox, Xbox online. So, wow, that's annoying. Yeah. Right. It's like, why I purchased this? Like, why do I need to repurchase all of it again? Yeah. So, there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be several different servers for each individual game system that you're playing this on. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're connecting to behaviors, online servers, and it should be their information that you can push down to your, wherever you're logging in from. So that shouldn't matter. Shouldn't. Well, you know, I think this is what the future of gaming needs. Like, forget about dongles. What we want is cross progression. <laughs> hmm. Make those dongles compatible. Right. I'd be 100% <laughs> on board for that. Right. All right. Let's take a look at our top three new releases for the week. Garbage Pail Kids, Mad Mike, and the Quest for Stale Gum. PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Garbage Pail Kids are back in this long-lost, all-new platforming adventure, featuring four playable characters, six secret-filled levels, and a trading card system. Garbage Pail Kids, Mad Mike, and the Quest for Stale Gum is a throwback to the golden era of 80s gaming. Bayonetta 3. Platform Switch. Bayonetta struts through multiple locations in an all-new, over-the-top climax action game. Sporting a wicked new ensemble and somehow familiar pigtails, the titular Umbra Witch must face a mysterious evil using her signature guns and time-slowing witch time ability. This time, invading man-made bioweapons called homunculi find themselves in Bayonetta's crosshairs. Uh, If you didn't know, I have voiced Bayonetta for this particular... uh, Let's release. (laughs) (laughs) Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, PS5, Xbox Series X and S, PS4, Xbox One, PC. Welcome to the new era of Call of Duty. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 drops players into an unprecedented global conflict that features the return of the iconic operators of Task Force 141. From small-scale, high-stakes infiltration tactical ops to highly classified missions, Players will deploy alongside friends in a truly immersive experience. Modern Warfare 2 will launch with a globe-trotting single-player campaign, (laughs) immersive multiplayer combat, and a narrative-driven co-op special ops experience. I like that so Well done. (laughs) (laughs) This is one week after playing Call of Duty. (laughs) Pretty damn impressive. (laughs) He'll just be home and your wife will be like, will you please stop that? (laughs) (laughs) Going dark. (laughs) <laughs> so based on the descriptions for these three games, uh, Brian, what's your choice this week? Well, seeing as I already prepaid for Call of Duty, <laughs> I will be going with that one. Um, 
you know, obviously I think everyone knows about Bayonetta 3 one way or another. The Garbage Pail Kids, I didn't know anything about, and I looked at it. Are they really just trying to tap into a generation that cared about that? Because I feel like that's something, a name I haven't heard at all. So it's an interesting one to try to revive. I hope it's got its fans out there. I hope it does well. Blue, what's your choice? Well, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, you know, it was nice knowing you, Donnie. Um, What? (laughs) I mean, Mr. Blue has also pre-ordered the game, and so I expect I'll be seeing you guys in, I don't know, two or three months. (laughs) (laughs) Garbage Pail Kids, you know, I don't know. We're all of that age where we remember where that was a big thing. But you're right. I feel like it's kind of been stuck in the 80s, so to see it resurrected is a little bit strange, which leaves me with Bayonetta 3. You know, honestly, my feelings on this game are so conflicted thanks to all of the drama that has been surrounding it. And then Kotaku, their review is saying that the only reason that this game is getting good review scores is because it's all a bunch of straight males are reviewing it. And it's this game is just for them. That's why it has a sexy character. It's just for them. And I was like, wow, is this the first time you've ever seen developers release a game with a sexy character? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I hate to break it to you <laughs> right so i mean it this feels like a game that it's impossible just to evaluate just based on the game my sentiments exactly mm. but it's a it's a well-regarded series the first two at least and so i feel like i would like to give it a fair shot mm. so what about you donnie um i never could get into a bayonetta game in fact i've never played one. Um, So Bayonetta 3 is probably not on my list. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, I've already purchased it. I've already played a little bit of the campaign. So that's the one that I'm going to be investing a lot of time in. Um, I am curious, however, about Garbage Pail Kids. I, like Brian, have not heard of this game, did not know it was on the radar, but doing a little digging, and it looks like they're actually releasing this for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so I went on to an mm. article by Bloody Disgusting, and it looks like it's being produced by IM8Bit. I'm not familiar with the company, ah, uh-huh. but I'm looking at the box, the NES cart, and the old school NES manual for this mm. thing. And I got to say, I am a big fan. I am a huge fan, in fact, of companies making games for older systems, for the mm-hmm. Sega Genesis, for the Super Nintendo, for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And if this continues to happen, I think my my library of quote-unquote retro games is going to get a lot bigger. So wait, Donnie, are you saying if you get Garbage Pail Kids on the NES, you'll be the only man with 6,000 hours on that game? if each level took that long to complete then i I would definitely applaud them for for making such a difficult nes game (laughs) all right let's move on to our main topic for the evening from screen rant the 10 hardest levels in video game history according to reddit always such a reliable source (laughs) Most video games have a good mixture of easy and hard levels to keep gamers properly entertained and challenged throughout the game, but some levels have proven to be excruciatingly hard to complete, and fans have taken to Reddit to share what they believe to be the 10 hardest video game levels ever. At number 10, Alien Autopsy Part 3 from The Simpsons Hit and Run. 
The Simpsons may not be for everyone, but there's no denying that the final level of The Simpsons hit and run is extremely painful to get through. Not only must players transport trucks of nuclear waste to an alien spaceship, but there's also a time limit that they have to complete the level in or it's game over. What's even worse, the timer continues during the cutscene, meaning Oof. that players need to arrive with plenty of time to spare in order to pass the level and finally complete the game. At number nine, we have the damn level from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the NES game. The TMNT have their fair share of enemies to fight in movies, shows, and games, but nothing they face compares to gamers' frustrations with a certain water level in the TMNT NES game. Filled with impossible time limits, challenging tasks, and horrible water controls, not to mention areas where players were required to take damage, this level was a nightmare for fans to complete, with many giving up before ever completing this challenging level. At number eight, the tutorial from Driver. Tutorial missions in video games are supposed to be easy to get players situated in the game. The tutorial for Driver failed this. To move on to the main game, players first had to complete a series of maneuvers in a certain amount of time. But the complexity of the maneuvers and the shortened time limit often led to many people quitting the game altogether due to the difficulty. What was even worse was the likelihood that you'll never do any of those maneuvers again for the rest of the game, making this tutorial even more unnecessarily difficult. At number seven, Priority Earth from Mass Effect 3. Overall, this level isn't completely difficult until players reach the final battle area where they are swarmed with lots of deadly Reaper enemies, including multiple Banshees, which can potentially insta-kill players if they get too close. The onslaught of enemies can easily overwhelm gamers if they make a mistake. I'm getting sick to my stomach just thinking about the screams. Comments, Full Metal Agent. At number six, we have Cortana from Halo 3. Halo 3 serves as an epic conclusion to the original trilogy of the franchise, but to reach that ending, players had to go through the dreaded level known as Cortana. Right from the start, players are almost instantly swarmed by the Flood, which comes from all sides and can include anything from combat forms to pure forms. The only saving grace for this level is that it's on the short side, making the pain everyone goes through mercifully brief. At number five, the library from Halo Combat Evolved. Following the big reveal of the Flood in one of the greatest Halo levels of all time, Halo fans then got to encounter what would become one of the most infamous levels in the history of the franchise, the library. While the repetitiveness of the level design made things a little easier, the seemingly endless swarms of Flood coming at players from every angle with all sorts of weapons, including rocket launchers, have absolutely crushed the soul of every Halo player. At number four, recovering the plans from Star Wars Battlefront 2. The original Star Wars Battlefront 2 is easily one of the best video games ever made, but even it has its difficulties, such as the level aboard the Tantive 4. The confines of the ship make for a cramped battle, even when players get access to Darth Vader. The level gets even harder as players complete objectives, as there is an infinite amount of rebel soldiers constantly respawning in the confined space. Plus, at the end of the level, all your stormtrooper comrades stop respawning, but the rebel AI never do, forcing the player to fight the enemy almost single-handedly. Coming in at number three, we have Pavlov's House from Call of Duty. Call of Duty has multiple hard levels that initially seemed deceptively easy, such as Pavlov's House. Enemies swarm, get stronger and stronger, yet your fellow comrades die in the first 30 seconds, and there are very few opportunities to heal. 
With tanks constantly bombarding the player's location, it can be a long, brutal slog to complete a level that seemed like a cakewalk from the start. Coming in at number two, after Montagnac from Operation Flashpoint, Cold War Crisis. And if I said that wrong, oh well. Military <laughs> simulators like this one generally take it easy on players, but the mission after Montagnac is beyond overkill in terms of difficulty. Alone and behind enemy lines, players must make their way to an extraction point, all the while being hunted by an army of soldiers and vehicles. One wrong move and players will find themselves in a quick, brutal death. A Redditor notes that the difficulty is also increased in both the level and the game because the bots will act different on every attempt. And crowning the list at number one, just can't wait to be king from The Lion King. It seems as though game developers like making even video games for kids incredibly difficult if this nightmarish level in The Lion King video game is anything to go by. While it seems easy, many people struggle to pull off all the jumps and get the timing exactly right for hitboxes or risk losing the level and having to try again. Even people coming back to play the level again years later still struggle with this annoyingly difficult level. I probably broke two to three controllers just because of the ostriches, writes Thrasher Life. Now, Blue, you did beat this game, correct? <laughs> right. And this is uh, one of the things that I have to say about this list as a whole is this is very clearly like a younger millennial list. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. there's one Super Nintendo game, one NES game, and then everything else is like PS3 and Xbox and more, right? Right. As far as 8-bit, 16-bit, heck, we could even go back to Atari if you want to get real brutal. <laughs> I mean, these, in, in my opinion, are nowhere near the most difficult levels in video games. Not even close. And I will say that the fact that the Just Can't Wait to Be King level from Lion King, which is not a difficult level, it's not even the most difficult level in that game. But if you turned it off at the second level, then I guess you wouldn't know about like the Return to the Pride Lands level, which is actually a little bit difficult. So <laughs> yeah, this list has lost all credibility in my eyes. Well, you know, number one, if you make a list like that, you limit it to one game per franchise. And the fact that they have two Halos back to back, right. um, that didn't make sense to me. But like they had some interesting call outs. And to your point, I don't think these are the worst. I, I do love the call out for the tutorial for Driver as someone who played the living hell out of that game. I do remember spending time in that garage and going crazy because I'm like, I can't get through this you wrecked a car man that's all <laughs> i kept hearing <laughs> yep but it's like you know you got other ones like pavlov's house from call of duty there's many call of duty levels i could put on here that's not a bad one because i have played through like every campaign but yeah to your to your point blue I, this feels like a younger person probably put this together because mm -hmm. how you don't have name a level from silver surfer or some right. of these other games like <laughs> we got the speeder from Battletoads. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yep. And, and also then it's like, OK, do you also include legendary or hardest difficulty in newer games? Because that can make it brutal or really any of the from software games. I mean, I guess well, they don't really have levels, but right. I, I don't think you, you include the difficulty settings because a, a game like. Uh, Lion King. You know, True. I remember correctly, and Blue, correct me if I'm wrong, there there were no difficulty settings. You just go in and you press start, and there you go. No, there are. There difficulty are? Difficulty settings. Yeah. Oh, well then. Yeah, there's a okay. there's a normal, a hard, and a easy. Okay. 
I mean, everybody complains about Lion King being like super impossibly hard. A, it's not. And B, just easy mode it. Come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't the real difficulty be going back trying to play Castlevania 2 or Legend of Zelda without a guide? <laughs> right. Ooh, that would be difficult. <laughs> or Metroid. It's always impossible. I always look at like, all right, they tried to get a widespread. They tried to get some unique ones in there. Like the TMNT dam level, my guess is they were fans of an angry video game nerd, saw that. Right. And said, oh, okay, like, well, that's an obvious gimme. You put that in there. Not saying that level was easy, but yeah, that wasn't the hardest thing ever. Yeah, it, it sucked as a kid. Yeah. The Simpsons hit and wrong as well. I think angry video game nerd has an episode on that one. Yeah, I think he does, and I love that game. And yeah, that levels and it's it's once again annoying, but I don't know. Maybe maybe they have a different perception of what a difficult game is. Because and and as you said, it's from Redditor, so right. most most sane folks aren't on Reddit anyway. So <laughs> unless you work for Screen Rant and they're assigning <laughs> you this title and say go dive into Reddit, yep. good luck with that. Right. Uh, I'm on Reddit solely for the pictures. so okay so having all of us uh, concurred that this is kind of a lousy list what are some games and or levels that you think deserve a spot on here the silver surfer levels were always they're brutal for me that's one of the few games i didn't decide to actually stick it out and beat like all the way through like i've beaten some really tough ones and that one is one where yeah, I did. I like. I, I couldn't do it. And you know what? Pick any level from that game. Which is funny because uh, a friend of ours, Nefarious Wes, um, he's able to play that game. And I've seen people with YouTube videos on, on how to actually play Silver Surfer. Like, oh, so you think Silver Surfer's hard? Here you go. Here's a tutorial. This is how you work it. And you're like, oh crap! Is it is it just that easy? Do I suck this bad? Yeah, speedrunners and those ones that go through always make you feel like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, completely. I'd say that there are a lot of games like with like uh, endurance trials. Um, and some of them that come to mind are like Streets of Rage and Final Fight, where it's just a load of guys. Giggity. Um, <laughs> you know, one after the other, just like keep swarming you and swarming you. And, and, and your your thumb is just taking a beating and you, you feel like you can't go on. And then there's the final boss and you're like, okay. And then he just wipes the floor with you. And that's just one dongle too far for you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Underneath the sword. <laughs> I had difficulty with uh, the final boss in the original God of War game. And I believe you fight Ares, if, am I mistaken? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I had such a time with that guy, and I never did beat him. I finally, I, I think I stayed up one night for like three hours straight, just trying the battle, trying it over again, trying it over. And a buddy of mine who had lent me the game, he's like, oh, yeah, I, I beat it like the, the second try. And I was like, you <laughs> son of a... And I couldn't. I could never beat that guy. I'd hate to tell you, Donnie, I did beat him on my second try. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I think about difficult final boss fights, that's not one that sticks out in my mind. Sorry. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> if we're talking about levels, difficult levels, you know, that does kind of relegate us back to the era when games actually had levels, I think. Mm-hmm. 
But when I think about the games that I played as a kid and the games that just completely wiped the floor with me, the ones that come immediately to mind are Comic Zone mm. okay, and Battletoads. And I just could not get anywhere in either of those games. Another series that I want to mention are the Super Star Wars series. Uh, yes. <laughs> I loved those games enough to continue to work at it and work at it and did eventually beat them. But they were so, so difficult. And when I go back and play them now as an adult, like, I don't remember. I don't know how I did it. I have no idea how I managed to beat those games because <laughs> I cannot do it now. I think for a game like those, uh, if I were to beat them, I don't think I'd ever touch them again. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I still got to say that any modern or even semi-modern game that lets you pick up where you died is automatically easier oh, than what yes. we were used yeah. to when we were growing up. 100%. 100%. Sorry, you got to start all the way over. Yeah. You die at the boss fight? Too bad. <laughs> Ninja Gaiden, level six. When you die, you have to start all the way back at 6-1. So, you know, you kids these days with your games will let you save the progress and you don't have to worry about the number of lives because it you just keep respawning. Mm-hmm. Like, nah. And your rewind feature and all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, like, that that's something you made such a great point with that because how many kids are playing classic NES games or Super NES with a rewind or emulator. So they're using, using safe states and they're like, yeah, this level's not bad, but it's not that hard. And not taking into account that true, like, you know, you restart from the beginning if you mess this up. Right. So how much of that is being like factored in there? Like uh, Super Mario Lost Levels. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine trying to play that game without a rewind feature. I can't imagine it. I know there's people out there that do it, but. <laughs> Me, I need the rewind feature. <laughs> yeah. And f- for me, with, with some of these games um, back in the old school days, you know, we didn't have the best graphics. So if there was something that you had to interact with on the screen that you just couldn't see, I mean, mm-hmm. talk about a, a, a game stopper. <laughs> <laughs> you could wander around like uh, for hours and, and have no idea what to do, like in Quackshot with me. Um, I can't even get past the first level. <laughs> just look it up. You'll beat the game in one sitting if you just get past that first I level. I know. I know. It's something I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. This segment is proudly sponsored by the Letus Podcast. It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more. Here's this week's trivia question. Finally, some recognition. Recognition? <laughs> I've never been to that state. <laughs> recognition. Finally, some recognition. Shigeru Miyamoto, the Nintendo designer, Frederick Raynal, the creator of Alone in the Dark, and Michael Ansell, the creator of the Rayman franchise, all became a part of history in 2006 when they were the first game designers to be awarded with what sovereign distinction? Tune into the Leadist podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You can find the Leadist on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll also have their links in the show notes. Sovereign being the key word there, I guess, huh? Ryan gave me the answer, so I know it, but I did not know it prior to him telling me. Okay. I had no idea. Were they redacted? Yes. Is that the answer? 
That actually is the answer. Wow. <laughs> I would have never gotten that. <laughs> that's that's a good question now. All right, fellow kids, make sure your starter hat is snapped up tight. That copy of Jurassic Park is rewound before taking it back to the video store. Take a swig of Jolt Cola and make sure your Atari Lynx has batteries, because where we're going, you're going to need it. This is the Retro Rewind for October 1994. Hot on the music charts this month, I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. I cry every time I hear that song. <laughs> All I Want to Do by Sheryl Crow. Endless Love by Luther Vandross and Mariah Carey. My love, my love, my endless love. <laughs> when Can I See You by Babyface. Wild Night by John Mellencamp and Michelle Ndege Ocello. Stroke You Up by Changing Faces. Giggity. Stay, I Missed You by Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories. At Your Best by Aaliyah. Never Lie by Immature. And Another Night by The Real McCoy. Oh, The Real McCoy. Oh, my God. The Real... Is, is that song now in your head? Another night, another dream, but always... Yes. <laughs> I think that's the only song of theirs that was ever... Like, was that a one-hit wonder? Uh, are you forgetting that one song? It's like, run away if you say your life. Oh, my gosh. No, you're right. <laughs> you are, oh, my God. <laughs> Literally a band I've not thought of in like Run away. 25 years. Yep. Adding that to my music list right Run now. Run away. <laughs> oh. oh, oh. <laughs> yes. Got to. <laughs> <laughs> the hits are coming back, baby. Out of the theaters this month, The Specialist, The River Wild, Pulp Fiction, Does He Look Like a... <laughs> Forrest Gump, which was released in July, but still going strong. Only You, Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. Oh, yeah. Stargate, Little Giants, Time Cop, and a small indie film that you may or may not have heard of called Clerks. Mm. Nah, see, Little Giants. My sisters and I quote Little Giants until this day. Mm-hmm. Same. I haven't really seen that movie all the way through. Is, is that with Rick Moranis? <laughs> yep. So, okay. So you do not know about the annexation of Puerto Rico. I do not <laughs> know about the annexation of Puerto Rico. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's one of our favorite movies. Now, mm -hmm. Brian, with being a horror guy, uh, what did you think of New Nightmare? I, I mean, I liked it. it, it it's one of those things where it was what Wes Craven was getting really in tune with which is making cliches of his own cliches and <laughs> like he kind of perfected it before getting to scream and i think that movie helped promote that idea that you could actually get away with it i think that's the best way that i've ever viewed the new nightmare is it was necessary for scream i like it better now yeah that's that's the best thing i'll give it <laughs> all right <laughs> hot at the arcades this month bloodstorm Operation Wolf 3, Mad Dog 2, The Lost Gold, Primal Rage, and Killer Instinct. So which non-Mortal Kombat fighting game were you playing? 
Definitely Killer Instinct. Um, Primal Rage, when it first came out, I hated it. I thought it sucked. And Killer Instinct, I didn't really care too much for because of the endless freaking combos. Mm. Like I, I had to sit there and just keep bam, 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 just moving the joystick, pressing the buttons and just doing it endlessly. I'm just like, I my, my fingers can't take this. I, I can't do this. I'm right there with you. I was going to say Killer Instinct was my go-to for sure. And I don't know if either of you, did you get the version that had I don't know if it all came with it, but the CD and the soundtrack. I do. I have that complete in box for the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And it's the first game I can ever remember doing that. And I still, to this day, that opening song, like that thing is underrated for how much it still doesn't get talked to, in my opinion. Oh, man. Killer Instinct has a great soundtrack. Mm -hmm. It does. Which is not talked about enough. Yeah, that that game. It's a little different while you're listening to your real McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> it makes the combos a little easier. I know, but I mean, if you yeah. turn down the music to Killer Instinct, if you turned it all the way down and put on real McCoy, I mean, you had some problems. <laughs> <laughs> Jago flying across the street. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I am so looking at real McCoy on YouTube when we're done here because yes. <laughs> it's like yep. blowing my mind. <laughs> In the video game news, the Street Fighter movie is in production and is gearing up to knock viewers in their chest like a well-timed Hadouken. <laughs> Are you proud of that one? <laughs> I am. I swear, so one of these days, somebody is going to hire me for voiceover talent. It's going to happen. You're going to have a, a like a huge reel of stuff from the podcast that you can <laughs> include. This is my portfolio. Listen to yep. episodes one through 700. <laughs> Mortal Kombat 2 rocks the house on the Super Nintendo and the Genesis. Shaq Fu is currently in development. That's going to be the best <laughs> fighting game of the year, right? Yep. Let's take a look at some of the video game magazine letters that we've received from magazines like EGM and GamePro. Dear EGM, you'll never believe this, but last week while I was playing a game of Super Metroid, there was a power surge at my house. The power went through my Super NES, through my controller, and then through me. Suddenly, I found myself about 20 years in the future. The first thing that went through my mind was that I've got to see the new arcade games. So I took the Hover Transit bus to where my old arcade was. Surprisingly, it was still there, but the games were totally different. I saw everything from Virtual Gal's Panic, Schwing, to a 128-bit version of Pong. But there was one game there that seemed familiar to me. It was Street Fighter. But not an ordinary version of Street Fighter. It was the 14th upgrade to the series entitled Ultra Mega Hyper Maximum Super Extended Street Fighter 2 Enhanced Turbo Champion Tournament Extra Edition. I was shocked that even in the 21st century, Capcom still couldn't count to three. Two things we should tell them. <laughs> Some things never change. And by the way, my Super NES is now a $120 doorstop. <laughs> so what's funny about that is... Wait, I have a question. How did they get back to 1994? Um, he probably pissed his pants, which woke him up. <laughs> okay. And then he came back to reality. I accept it. Head cannon accept it. <laughs> so what... what what made me pick this one out is because on TikTok today, uh, somebody had posted something that said, I think that 
Street Fighter Two was the best fighting game in the arcades. You know, what's your opinion? And obviously, this was an opinionated piece, but I started doing a little digging because I, I, me, I'm, I was on the the fence of Mortal Kombat. I think Mortal Kombat was the best arcade fighter back in the day, but it's really it's 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 your own personal opinion. There's really it's it's a coin flip, but. In all reality, you had three different versions of Street Fighter 2 before uh, Mortal Kombat came out. You had Street Fighter 2, you had Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition, and then you had Super Street, or I'm sorry, Street Fighter 2 Turbo. So by the time that uh, Super Street Fighter 2 came out, the new Warriors, or the uh, is it new Warriors or new Challengers? New Challengers. The new Challengers. Okay, so when, when that game came out, when Super Street Fighter 2, the new Challengers came out, that technically should have been Street Fighter 3, should it not have been? Have you guys ever seen High Score Girl on Netflix? No, I don't think so. No? It's a love letter to 90s gaming masquerading as a rom-com anime. Mm. Okay. So it's about these kids growing up in 90s arcade culture. And one of the running jokes throughout the entire series is that they're always like breathlessly waiting for Street Fighter 3 and they never get it. (laughs) (laughs) I remember seeing Street Fighter 3 in the arcades in 1997. And I was like, finally, it's here. Street Fighter 3. Holy crap. And it was just, it was... Street Fighter. Yeah. Nobody played it. (laughs) (laughs) From Terrence Powell, I'm still foggy on why Sega is developing a 32-bit system while the rest of the industry seems to be concentrating on 64-bit systems. As a marketing major at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, I've learned that if a company is in a competitive environment, it should always come up with a product or service that's at least the same or better than its competitors. I don't think you need to go to college. Exactly. I was getting ready to say that. <laughs> Thanks, though, Terrence. <laughs> I wonder what Terrence is doing now. <laughs> well, I don't even know if he's still in this area, so I might try to look him up. <laughs> oh, please let us know if you find him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so what kind of advantages can Sega emphasize with a 32-bit system in a 64-bit world? Sega's argument? Yes, Nintendo is coming out with the Ultra 64, but when? In a year? Yes, the 3DO is available, but is it affordable? And yes, the Jaguar is there with its 64 bits. Yep, do the math. (laughs) Do the math! (laughs) But the software support has been weak. The 32X will have about a dozen games ready right away, with dozens more in 1995. According to Sega, the 32X brings extra power to gamers right away at an affordable price. Affordable, which should translate to about $150. Plus, Sega points out, it's compatible with the Genesis. So what does that equate to? Well, it equates to Sega wanting you to spend your hard-earned money on old technology. Because at the time, they were actively developing the Sega Saturn. I mean, it's a hell of a spin, though. You're not wrong. Their marketing outshine their ability to continue making great games. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, my hat is off to Sega from a business perspective because... I think they had the foresight to know that all of these different uh, 64-bit systems were being developed, and they didn't want the, the the older technology to fall by the wayside. So they they needed something to stay in the game until the Saturn hit the market. And it, while it wasn't a home run, it at least was you know an RBI single or an RBI double that they needed to keep some money coming in. Yeah, agreed. 
games released this month, Aliens vs. Predator for the Atari Jaguar. I've played that game. Alone in the Dark 3DO. That's my flex. Uh, Alone (laughs) in the Dark 3DO. Blue Sphere for the Genesis and Mega Drive. Doom 2, Hell on Earth for the PC. The follow-up to the smash hit Doom. Earthworm Jim on the Super Nintendo. Now talk about a game with a difficult level. (laughs) Right. Yeah, we should have mentioned that before. Yes, we should. Samurai Showdown 2 on the Neo Geo. If you've never played that one, I have. (laughs) (laughs) Shining Force 2 for the Genesis. Sparkster for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. And Sonic and Knuckles for the Genesis slash Mega Drive. Did you guys play Sonic and Knuckles back in the day? Nope. I did not own a Genesis. Yeah, I played a very little bit of it. Didn't grab me back then. Like it, it just it just didn't interest me enough. And ironically enough, that is one of the latest reviews we just got done recording for. Oh, after okay. Beating that game. I do have that cart. Um, I have never, never touched this game. I think by the time that Sonic the Hedgehog 2 um, had come and gone, I was just kind of like, eh, it's the same old thing. I, I I felt like it was a little childish. So I, I had started to move <laughs> on. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, that was I Sonic's started- whole thing is I'm not for kids. <laughs> I'm, I'm, for, I'm for cool older kids. Yeah. <laughs> Sega does what Nintendo don't, man. And I know you're right. You're right. With the whole Sega um, uh, mentality or, or outlook is that they were they were not doing childish games, but it just felt, I don't know, it just felt like it was going the way of Mario Brothers. So I, I just kind of skipped it. Donnie was just way too mature. Okay, I was. I mean, he just gave his flex for AVP and right. uh, <laughs> and Samurai showed out on the yeah, Neo Geo. Exactly. <laughs> we don't have time for cartoon hedgehogs. I had a full time <laughs> job, was smoking two packs a day and uh, you know, drinking <laughs> <know>. a bottle. <laughs> Already losing his hair, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have a full head of hair, thank you. At forty four years old, I was joking. <laughs> These aren't plugs. No way. No how. <laughs> All right, that wraps up our Retro Rewind for this week. Thank you so much for hopping in the time machine and taking a look back at what used to be. We'll see you back in the present. Oh, and if anyone asks, I'm trading my old NES and 300 games to pay for the new PlayStation. Who's going to want this old junk anyway? (laughs) All right, thank you for listening to episode 45 of Gamers Week Podcast. And a big thank you to the Retro Game Club Podcast, the latest podcast, and Love Retro BTW for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out their links in the show notes. And a special shout out and thank you to Brian from Drink a Beer and Play a Game and the Power Hour podcast. Brian, thank you very much for coming onto the show and helping Blue and I uh, in Ryan's absence. We greatly appreciate it. No, I truly appreciate you guys having me on it ton of fun loved having you guys on our show so yeah always happy to jump in and where if you want to tell the listeners where they can find you on your socials and everywhere else yeah absolutely so on youtube um you can find us at drink a beer and play a game uh on twitter it's a beer and a game and everywhere else instagram facebook uh only fans 
<laughs> that's a special one. <laughs> um, yeah, you just drink a beer, play a game is the easiest way to find us in any of those things. We're uh, we're unique in that sense. But if you try to just Google drink a beer, you'll first come to a Luke Bryan song. So you got to type in and play a game. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> and if uh, if you don't want to do all of that, we'll just have uh, a link to their link tree in the show notes. So when you're done listening here, definitely head on over to those guys and check them out. Appreciate it, guys. The Luke Bryan song would just be like a, a very tough first level that you have to power through. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you want to connect with Gamers Week, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. Email us at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our merch store at gamers-week-podcast.creator-spring.com or if you want to do it the easy way, follow the link in the show notes or join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gamersweek. And finally, since you made it all the way to the end of this episode, please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did. We really do value your feedback. And while you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. Everybody, thank you for listening. Have a good night. Now off to Google to real McCoy. Another night, another dream will <laughs> you. Another vision of love seems to be true. Run away. Oh, got to be free. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut, patrons with benefits. This is the unscripted patron-only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes. We don't know where the conversation will go, but we're sure it will be weird. This fish just went right on my nipple. And I'm just like... (laughs) (laughs) I Google Street Fighter 6, the first search result that comes up is people think they can see Ryu's dick in the Street Fighter 6 reveal. <laughs> Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make your dick fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect. <laughs> if you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek.